I want you to look with me and I want you to note a, a simple topic that describes something I think is um, profound but often missed. Repeat it with me, please say, fighting, fighting. For, a new harvest. for a new harvest. Now, a clarion call is a call by a leader to ask people to come to a special moment. And this is what I, I, I believe is important. I want to have you pay close attention to what we talk about, because in these calls, I believe there's a special message that if you apply it, it can change everything in your life. Whenever you use the word harvest in this culture, Christian culture, it tends to mean I'm going to get some money or something. That's the essence of it. God's going to do something great for me. Good job, much money. And if we're not careful, it becomes all about us. The reason we want to harvest is so that we can give God a hand and say, good job, God, you really looked out for me. You really touched me. But I think it's way more than that. I think a harvest is way more than just that. It, it, it really boils down to, I believe, a very important principle that's found in a verse. In a moment, I'm going to read it. It's Matthew. But I want you, Matthew chapter 9. But I want you, if you would please, to repeat this with me, please. Say, how much, how much do, I really do I really care? I believe the measurement of your harvest the measurement of your opportunity, you can use that word for harvest if you choose, the measurement of God's blessing to you is directly linked sometimes to how much he can trust you to care. If you really don't care about anybody but yourself and if you really aren't interested in anybody but you, you probably will not be an effective warrior in the world. The world will not benefit from your presence. The world simply... Um, sees you as part of the scenery, but not a part of the solution. How much do you really want God to do in your life? And who beyond you will benefit from what he does in your life? So let's pretend God gave you a great harvest. Let's pretend God did an incredible thing for you. Let's pretend he gave you a big building, gave you a bunch of people, gave you a big church, gave you a big business, gave you a plane, gave you a big house. One in every state. Okay, two or three states. Let's say he gave you servants. Let's say he gave you, gave you, gave you, gave you. Who else would benefit but you? When you dream... When you sit alone and you dream of a harvest for yourself, do you ever have anybody else in that dream? Is there ever anybody else in your mind? Now, if we're honest, a lot of time the answer is no. They used to call it back when I was a freshman in college, meistic. One of my professors loved that term. So we're very meistic in this culture. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. 
Here's what Jesus said that I think is fascinating. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. This is the one text I'll teach on for two days. Jesus went through, verse 35, Matthew 9, all the cities and villages. How many villages did he go through? All. One more time. How many did he go through? All, all of the cities and the villages. Teaching about how great he was and how wonderful God had blessed him, right? No. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every affliction. He's out doing amazing things and he's healing every affliction. This is an example of effort. This is not a lazy person. This is not a person who's worried about being tired. This is not a person who's worried about burning out. This is a guy who's 30 years old, and he's going everywhere. He is engaged. He is strong. He is devoted. He's sweating. He doesn't mind it. Large crowds. He's going from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue to synagogue to synagogue. Running up against people who don't like him, running up against people who don't want to hear his message, but he's determined. And what's got everybody's attention is not just the message. But the results, he's healing people. People are better after they encounter him. It's not some religious message with a whole lot of you know, religious jargon and a whole bunch of doctrine. It's a, it's a message with power. It's a message that when you, when you finish hearing it, you feel better. Your cousin got healed. Your mama got healed. You got a testimony of victory. That's called a harvest. An example of concern, verse 36. Notice how he felt, and people can tell this. And when he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion, big word, for them. Why? Because they were, in his opinion, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. People can feel your motive. They can feel that your motive is simply to get another soul into your church so you can say we are growing. They, tell, they can tell the goal is to fill up the chairs and get more tithers in the building. They can tell if that's the motivation. A lot of what's turned off, and you'll see some numbers in a moment, that's turned off a lot of people with Christians is because their concept of a harvest is blessing themselves. There's no compassion for anybody. That's why you just go to your, your home family reunion and just tell everybody they're going to hell. Because, you know, that's your job. You've been hired by God as a hell proclaimer to people. That's why on your job, you, nobody likes you because you're not nice. When they start smoking, you just go all like that, start fanning and breathing hard and acting like you're going to die, you know. All them people you smoked around in your day. Hello. It's amazing how you've forgotten. You have no compassion. You have no compassion. You have no compassion for a person who uses foul language. When you cussed, how much? Sorry. And how many languages did you used to curse? And now you have no. Why are you so quiet? <laughs> I should have a confessional right now. I should say, how many of you in your life at some time have been around somebody who said a bad word? Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hand up. Put your hand down if you never said a bad word yourself. There you go. Hands are still up. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? You're around yourself. Was your hand up there? Watch yourself, girl. 
<laughs> Talking to you after church, girl. I know my daughter's hand wasn't up. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What in the world? <laughs> compassion. Where's your compassion? Where's your, where's, you want to harvest, but you want to harvest without feeling. I wonder, you know, sometimes if we don't understand that God looks and says, hey, let me show you what harvesting is all about. Let me show you. It's about having concern. Verse 37. This is the verse that I think shows an example of potential. And what's interesting is this is the verse we focus on. This is the verse whenever you teach on harvest, this is where you go, because here's what it says. Then he said to his disciples, Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful. Oh, we like that part. We like that part. Now stop right there. That's it. Preach the whole message on that, boy. That's it. Because that's about opportunity. There's a lot. And if you read the context of Matthew 9, he's out there and there's large crowds gathering around him. There's a lot of people coming to him. And when he gets to them, he looks and he sees this large crowd and he has compassion. He's moved. And he says to the disciples, look around you, gentlemen. The harvest is plentiful. We somehow interpret that as meaning, boy, God sure has a lot of opportunities for me. But it goes beyond that. He says, you know, and you'll see in a moment, the problem is the laborers are few. Now, we interpret that in church to mean few people want to volunteer. Uh, yeah, true and not true. Sometimes people don't want to volunteer for what you want them to volunteer for. I'm coming, I promise. <laughs> he looks at them and says the laborers are few. Hmm. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord, verse 38, uh, to the Lord of the harvest. And here's what I want you to pray for. Pray to send out laborers. Send out laborers into the harvest field. Send out people. I can say there are probably close to 500 people in this church who volunteer, probably. You put all the groups together, there's probably close to 500 people. That's a lot of volunteers. That's five churches in some places. There's a lot of people here who give time. There's a lot of people who devote themselves. And then there are a bunch of you that, 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 that volunteer outside of this building. Now, let me see. How many of you volunteer somewhere outside of the church? Raise your hand. Put your hand up high. Let me see. You volunteer someplace outside the church. So a lot of you are doing stuff outside of the building. There are things that you do in the, in the church and inside of our ministry, and there are things you do seasonally here. But I find it's fascinating that there are a lot of people that are no longer interested, and there's a sad number of people that have decided the one place they won't go and volunteer is church. They're called the unchurched. George Brauner and David Kinnaman wrote a book called Churchless. And he says the number of unchurched in America, 156 million Americans, are not engaged in a Christian church. And how many? 56 million. Aren't you glad I give you the numbers? Say? Hmm. He says in the past 10 years, 38 million people have become unchurched. This is more people than live in Canada or Australia. 38 million. 
The number of hungry unchurched people, the people who are looking and interested in Christianity, 40 million are deeply interested in Christianity and its values. This is proof that there is a harvest. This is proof that there are people and there are opportunities out there to reach people in large numbers. There are misconceptions, though, about these people. That they are often misunderstood as interested as interested in as not being interested, rather, in spiritual things. And that's not true. They're very interested. There are a lot of people that want you, but the problem is we're not offering them what they really see as valuable. They don't see what you want to do as something that needs to be done. As a matter of fact, they question, I think, your care and your concern. And they're, sw they're switching. They're, they're sliding. They're sliding to a new place. So I want you to see there's proof that there's a harvest out there. But there's also proof on the other side of this, as Jesus said, that some people struggle um, and some don't want anything that has labor connected to it. Some people want it easy. Some embrace labor and some don't want labor. A good example of this is the way people view marriage. Marriage is labor intensive. If you marry, say amen. amen. <laughs> There's a study by the Pew Research Group that found a record, catch this now, 20% of adults over the age of 25 have never been married. That's up from 9% back in 1960. Now I want you to see this comparison between now and 1960. It's amazing. The author of the study also predicted 25% of millennials, those are people born in the 80s and the 90s, will never say I do. Even though they say, when you ask him in a study, 50% say we will get married, he says they're not going to get married, the way the trend seems to be going. Also, decades of declining marriage rates and changes in family structures, the share of American adults who have never been married is at a historic high. In 2012, one in five adults aged 25 and older, about, listen to this now, 42 million people, had never been married, according to the Pew Research Center. In 1960, only about 1 in 10, that's 9% in that age range, had never been married. People are saying, too much work. I'd rather stay single. I don't know if I want to do this or not. The rise in people living together has gone up. Get in, get out. Commitment has changed. People's definitions have changed. There is a true lack of desire to be involved in things that are labor-intensive, especially when it comes to family. We're giving up faster. We're quitting easier. We're losing our hope faster. Harvest opportunities are present. Labor challenges exist. But here's what I found to be fascinating. I wanted to camp, like I always have, on this labor thing. You know, this is where you beat up on people. This is where you go in and you say, all right, you people, when I'm finished with this sermon, you're going to want to volunteer. 
or else. Hallelujah. And so you just lay on people about getting up, going for God. And, you know, if you're doing a camp and you got a bunch of kids, you call them to go to ministry and they come down, you know, back in the days you did, if you did the camp, they'd be praying and crying at the altar. I'm going to work for God. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to ministry. I'll be a pastor. People want to go and serve anywhere they can. You, this is when you pass out the cards, too. After you get them all convicted, pass out a volunteer card. Everybody signs up. Stuff they're never going to do, but they sign up that day. But I learned something in my study that was phenomenal. And specifically, I learned about people born in the 80s and 90s. That their vision, they're called the millennials, they've changed. I discovered to my utter shock and amazement and, and, and happiness that, that it's, in this generation, there are people who want to work. There are a lot of people who are willing to work, but there's a problem. They won't work for just any reason. They will work if you give them a cause. They embrace the labor of purpose. Sit with me, please. Come on. The labor of purpose. If you have something that matters, and I put it in bold prints for you, they'll jump in. 72% of millennials are eager to join a nonprofit organization, and a little over 50% would like to give monthly to a charitable organization, 50%. If the organization has purpose, if they can convince them that if you give to this organization, something phenomenal is going to happen. It's not just a church gathering with people who sing. It's not just a bunch of people who come to honor some great guy they think speak well. But if there's something that they do that has a profound impact on the world, they're interested. And I'm not demeaning church. I'm not demeaning guys like me speaking. I'm not demeaning any of that. But here's a question. What are we going to do that makes a difference in the world? That's what the millennials call us to. They'll give. They'll volunteer. They'll serve if you can give them a purpose. Now, I want you to think with me for a second. If there's anything overcoming by faith should do, if there's one thing that we really want to survive in the future, we're going to have to make sure we're aimed at a purpose. We have to make sure that our goal in life is to make a difference in the world and to really show that we care about the world. Our definition of harvest must broaden beyond ourselves. It must broaden beyond just filling up the chairs. It must broaden beyond fancy buildings. I'm not against that. We're going to build stuff. You're going to hear me talk about that in a few months. I think it's important for all of us. But the question is, harvest for what purpose? Harvest for what opportunity? See, I believe it's when people have a passion and a fire, when they get up in the morning and say, we want God to bless us because we want to change this. We want to change that. We want to heal this person. We want to raise up that dead person. We want to go after this group. We want to make a difference in the world. I believe that, come on, clap your hand if you hear what I'm saying to you. Come on. That's when it makes a difference. And I, I love the fact that the millennials call us out in the street and say, come on. I think it's great that they challenge us and say, okay, so here's what you want me to do. You want me to get saved. So you can say the harvest is plentiful. You want me to come and join your church? So you can say the harvest is plentiful. So you want me to come and give money? So you can say the harvest is plentiful. You want me, you want me to come and sit there and just kind of be in the building until this guy gets through talking? 
until you finish singing, until you finish jumping around, and that's called a harvest. That's, 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 that's God moving. I, I don't know that they believe that that's all there is in the world. Somehow in my heart when I read this, here's what came to my mind. They care about stuff. Do you? And if you do, write on a list of what you care about. I want you to think about this. This is your homework. Write down a list of things outside of your family, your kids, your house, your church that you care about. Write down a list of people that are outside your family, outside of your church, outside of yourself that you care about. See how long the list is. See how many things you pray about that have nothing to do with you. Think about how much you care about. And I'll tell you what's interesting. If we're honest, we stop caring about a lot of things. And we stop caring about a lot of people. Sometimes, you know, when I come in here, we have these schedules. And if I'm not careful, I'll start looking at the schedule. And I'll start saying, right now, I'm supposed to do this. And then I'm supposed to do that. And I can ignore what's going on in the room. I can get so focused on the schedule of my life. Now, I believe in a schedule. I believe in a plan. Come with a plan and change it. Don't come with no plan. Say amen if you hear me. Amen. But there's something that happens when you allow God to interrupt your plan. When you say, God, I want you to give me a harvest. But here's the reason why I want a harvest. So whenever you want to use me, whenever you want to send me someplace, I want to be available. And I want to care about who you care about. Come on, say amen if you hear me. I want to care about people. I went to a restaurant the other day, and I was sitting there, and this young man was sitting, sitting there looking up in the sky, sort of thinking. And I, I was so touched, he, he just looked, and I looked at him, and I ended up sitting in front of him. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm fine. And I said, well, I don't know. I just asked him another question, and he said, I'm just sitting here thinking. I said, think about what? My future. Trying to figure out what to do. I said, well, how's it going? He said, not good. <laughs> Smart guy, great guy. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. Let me change my plans, close my book, and talk to you for a minute. I said that in my head. So come on, sit with me for a minute. He came over, he knew who I was, and we started talking. Now it's not about me. It's all about you. And I began to invest time, and this young man was powerful, and we talked, gave him some t tips, some ideas, and then I did something that I think was, was wonderful. I gave him my number. And I said, now, you go think about this, and you call me back, and we'll talk whenever you want to. He thought about it for about three weeks. Called me. I'm ready to talk. I said, all right, call me. So we talked. And he said, all right, I picked up on what you said the last time. He took everything I said, wrote it down in his heart and mind, called me back with more questions. I gave him some more things to think about. He said, thank you, sir. I'll call you back when I get some more questions. <laughs> and then he put a little note in. By the way, I enjoyed your sermon the other day, too. I watched you. 
Do you care about somebody you don't know? Do people feel you care? Do you have time to care? I tell a story about being on a plane one time. A guy broke his leg, and he broke his leg. I mean, it was a bad break. He had on the biggest cast you ever want to see. And he got on the plane, and he was sitting up in the bulkhead. You know, that's, that's right by the bulkhead is the seat right in front of the wall in coach. And he was sitting there, and he was hurting. He was hurting all over. He, and he had about a four-hour flight. And he was in pain. And I remember sitting there, and I was, I was, I was across from him. I wasn't in next to him. And, and he just was grimacing, and, and, um, and he just, I, and I looked over, and I just said, you okay, man? He said, no, man, I, I need to prop my leg up, man. He said, if I had something to prop my leg up, I, I wouldn't hurt so bad. And so I, um, I, we took off. We got up in there. I, I got up, and there was nothing. So I took off my belt. And um, I helped him with my belt prop his leg up. And I never will forget how everybody on the plane looked around at a young black man helping a young white man prop his leg up on the plane. And he bent it all kind of ways. And I did not care. Because in that moment, he Remembered. And I remember after I got off the plane, people came up to me and said, we don't know who you are. But that was amazing, what you did for him. And then he had to go to the bathroom. Now, I just met you. <laughs> getting mighty close now. This <laughs> gee whiz. <laughs> I got behind him and I helped him walk to the bathroom. I stayed outside. <laughs> then I helped him back to his seat. Do you care? Who do you care about that you don't know? If Christians are ever going to be effective in the world, we've got to get back to caring. Amen. Everything we do, everything we build, every dollar we give, every time we come, it's to learn how to care about the world. And I want to tell you something powerful. It's when you can care beyond your family. It's when you can care beyond yourself that you make the biggest difference. And it's when people feel that about you, when people see it in you. When you stop talking about your kids and your grandkids and your life and your dreams for yourself. It's when a single person forgets about their husband and when is he going to come and standing at the door every day saying, is this him? Is that him? And every day you're sitting there looking for a harvest for yourself. If you want to get a bigger harvest, stop thinking about yourself only. I didn't say period, but just yourself. Come on. Amen. Only. Because here's what I think happens. When you care about others, when you embrace others, something phenomenal happens. There's a story I read that was an amazing book. A missionary went over to a country I won't name, and he went there to touch people 
that did not know God. And he preached and won several villages to God. And then he was all of a sudden attacked by headhunters. These folks were frustrated that he came in their village and they said, we're going to kill him. I ain't going to say what else they said they're going to do. But they were determined. Now, you know, there is a time to run. That was the time to run. They chased these missionaries across a narrow bridge. As they ran across this narrow bridge, the, 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 the headhunters were coming after them. And I remember as I was reading the book, I thought, chop down the bridge. Now me, that's why God didn't send me. <laughs> Pow, it's over. Oh boy, they didn't make it. That's it. But I, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't chop down the bridge. They caught them, killed them. When the wife buried them, somehow the act of killing those two missionaries. I think they stabbed them to death. And something about that experience changed the headhunters. <clears throat> All of a sudden, they realized that these guys, the missionary's wife, decided not to leave. Now, if somebody killed me down, I don't expect you to be staying around. <laughs> but these folks stayed around because they cared. She said, my husband came to do this work. And we stayed. And because she stayed, they came to God. Because she stayed, the whole tribe came to God. The headhunters, the families, and everybody came to God. Because they said these words, we realize your husband cared about us. And we're sorry for killing him. When people realize you care, sometime after they're mean to you, you stand out. I think we need to start caring if we're going to change the world, because that's when we matter. You see, I want you to pretend we took you out of your job for a moment. Take you out of your job. Would they miss you? If you didn't show up tomorrow, would the company close down? take you out of this community, move to another part of the country? Would anybody know that you lived in that house? Would you matter? What do you do for your community? If you close down this church, shut its doors, do we matter? If you're not careful, if you think mattering is all about being in here, you missed it. What you want people to say is those people who care about us make a real difference. Those people are invaluable. I want you to understand, pretend Martin Luther King never came. Scary thought, isn't it? God brings a man into the world. Just think the Apostle Paul never existed. Imagine. 
who wrote all that he wrote, God used him. Well, God would have raised up somebody else. No, I don't want you to think like that. I want you to see the value of one person who cared. Do you care and do you matter? A lot of people say today, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do any of this because I don't think they care. And I don't think, to be really honest, I can see how they matter. I think God matters. But do they matter? Do I matter? Do you matter? Tomorrow night, I'm going to show you how to matter. Tomorrow night, I'm going to show you that when you get your harvest, I'm going to show you how to make the most amazing difference everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, you should matter. Everywhere you go, people should know you care. Everywhere you go, somebody's life should be changed. Everywhere you go, somebody should be saying, I am so glad you came. Everywhere you go, you should become an infectious force in the world. Everybody on your job says, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they didn't come in today. Everybody should be calling, are you all right? Are you coming in later? Everybody should say, please don't leave. Please don't leave. When you leave, they should have a party of sadness. They should be happy for your promotion and your blessing, but they should say, we are sure going to miss you. Is that true? I want you to matter. Tomorrow I'm going to show you how. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, do something in us that will inspire people to feel cared about. Do something in us that will bring a harvest, but not just a harvest of greed. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bless us abundantly above all we can ask or dream or think. But not just so that we can consume it upon ourselves. I ask you, Lord God, lift your hand, church. I'll ask you to pour blessings into these hands. I pray, God, that your spirit would move just like the 12 disciples mattered just like, Lord God, key people in the Bible, Moses, mattered. Let us matter, Lord God. Those were people who had great harvest in their lives, but their harvest was not about them. Their harvest was given to them to reach out and care for those around them. To bring deliverance to people. Father, we got to care about these young black men that are lost can't just come in here and sit down and not do anything about that. We have to care about that. We have to care about these young women that are lost. We have to care about these families that are in strife. We have to care, Lord God, in Jesus' name, about the sickness. We have to care about the fact that of all those born in this decade, in the next 10 years, 50% of the African Americans born in the next 10 years will have diabetes in their lifetime. Father, that's too many in Jesus' name. We've got to care about the health of our people. We must care about the health of the world. We must care, Lord God, about how many people are homeless today. How many people are living in credit card debt? We must care. We must provide classes. We must show them how to be free. We must care enough, Lord God, to encourage people who are illiterate to learn how to read. We must care, Lord God, about people 
who have no hope. We must care about school teachers that are falling out of love with their profession. And we must find a way to encourage them and inspire them to continue the fight. We must care, Lord God, about our city and, and, the, and the crime rate that's rising. We must care in Jesus' name. Care about our police officers. Care about our community. Care about the anger in our community. Care, Lord God. I pray you stir us in Jesus' name. Bring a harvest into our life of skill and opportunity and resources so we can make a major difference so that many of those millennials will say, I want to join that group. I want to be a part of that family. I want to financially be there. I want to be there on, on weekends. I want to be there when we have camps for kids. I want to be there, Lord God, to help the elderly. I want to be there in Jesus' name. Oh, God, I pray your spirit upon us. I pray your blessings upon us. Come on, amen. Now, I want you to put your stuff down. It's time to stand up on your feet. Come on. Time to get up on your feet. Praise God. Come on, show a little labor. When's the last time you strained? I want you to stand up. Don't clap right now. I want you to just lift your voice. 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 Hallelujah. When is the last time you made an, an exhausting effort to reach a hurting person? How much does it hurt you to see people who are harassed, helpless, and without leadership? Father, I pray those questions would burn in our hearts this week. And I pray, God, that you would do something in us that only you can do. In the name of Jesus. Now I'm going to pray a prayer, one final prayer. I want you to look at me before I pray this prayer. You have to prosper. Broke people can do very little to change things. You're going to have to partner and you're going to have to partner. You're going to have to be blessed and partner with people. Five dollars, five dollars, five dollars. It adds up if you keep going. I want God, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing upon you. But that blessing, you're going to release to be a blessing. You ready for that? Because I believe that when God pours a blessing on people who have the right heart, people who care, he will guide them to be an instrument of blessing. Amen. Come on, amen. Are you hearing me? And, and, come on, amen. You there? You're going to be an instrument of blessing. And so we're going to fight for this new harvest. But we understand this is not just about us. We're going to fight, get out of debt, we're going to fight this year to change our whole circumstance. We're going to fight to change everything so that we can be a vessel that God flows through. And so whether you're home or you're here, here's the prayer. You ready? Hands up high. Father, I speak deliverance this year. I declare that not only will you free them financially, you will free them emotionally. Whatever has been plaguing them in Jesus' name, this will be a year of harvest, opportunity, blessing where they will reach out and touch the world around them. The hurting people around them will be touched and changed. There are plenty of people that need God, and we don't need to be stuck on ourselves. We need to be stuck on reaching. And so, God, I pray a fire would light in our hearts 
And I pray, God, that we would never be the same. I pray, God, that we would never be the same. That in our mind and in our hearts, we'd see, I've got to get my life on track so that I can help other people. I've got to get beyond thinking about me every day. I've got to stop talking about my trials and my this and pray for me in Jesus' name. Glory to God. I pray, God, that you would lift us to a place where we can pray for somebody else, think about somebody else, give to somebody else, serve somebody else in the name of Jesus. I speak that, I declare it. The spirit of the laborer will come upon us and we will go out and strain and sweat and give time and sacrifice to make a difference in the world. Build homes, build houses, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, travel across the seas in the name of Jesus. We're going to make efforts in your name to change the world we live in, in Jesus' name. Come on, say amen. Are you with me, church? I hereby challenge you to have bold, bodacious, awesome, large, huge, gigantic dreams and visions. I hereby challenge you to go to far lands and great places to make huge sacrifices to change the lives of others. I challenge you to get beyond the borders of Chatham County. I challenge you in Jesus' name to think of countries like Guatemala. I challenge you to think about countries like Morocco. I challenge you to think about places way beyond your borders and your comfort zone. I pray that God would move upon you to have a vision that's bigger than anything you ever had before. I pray that you would reach up and believe that God can use you and use your skills in other lands where they need you. I declare in Jesus' name that you won't think of anything small. You'll think of something grand and big. That God can unite you with others who have big vision and you can do big things for God. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. promise you I'm almost done. I was in Ghana sitting with Mensa Odebill, with uh, Fred Price and some other folks and we're all eating dinner after church and I was talking about thinking about expanding our radio ministry over in that area in Africa and I never will forget something Mensa said to me. He said, well, Temple, that's a good idea if you can speak French. He said, a whole bunch of African countries speak French, sir. You're going to do that, you're going to have to get some translations. Never thought about that. You can't tell them to mail the address to 9700 Middle Ground Road. Can't tell them to call 912-927-8601. ain't going to call that number. What are you going to put over here? You got to have an African address, an African style. <laughs> Under him that's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. Come on, amen. Under him that's able. Your dreams and your visions can be more narrow than you know until you talk to people. But if you can dream, if we can band together and say, just like Sheila Bishop's on her way, where you going, Sheila Bishop? Where you headed? Antigua, Guatemala. Come on up here. Let me see, let me see somebody that's going to Antigua, Guatemala. 
Come on up here. You know, you hate to be highlighted. I know you do, but I don't care. <laughs> Where are you going again? To Antigua, Guatemala. What you going to do when you go to Antigua, Guatemala? Me along with other four, three other people, uh, we're going to do uh, medical missions. Some people in this church? Yes. Who else going? Who, they in here? Who in here that's going with you? Pat. Pat, come on up here, Pat. Who else going? Dr. Franklin. Dr. Franklin here today? Fern Carroll in here today? We all in here? Where y'all Antigua, Guatemala people at? <laughs> Give them a big hand. Come on, praise the Lord. They going to Antigua, Guatemala. That's where they going. Praise God. That's right. And I want you to know we did a mix. They, some of your money and some of their money. But some of your money in here too. Come on, say amen. amen. Come on, amen. Some of your money's in there. Praise God. You excited? Ready? Yes. Both of y'all are RNs, right? Yes. And y'all gonna go over there and do some nurse work and heal some people. Yeah, and what? You going to work? Yes. Labor. Labor. All right. <laughs> Father, come on, Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Been on the phone with my friend in France and some other places. We're working on some other trips. We got some other plans. I got some other ideas. This is this is this is what I believe God's called us to do. Band together and make a difference. Now, the group we're going with is a group out of it's on faith and practice. Faith and practice with. Based out of Texas. Based out, hold on. Grab that mic right there, would you? Grab that mic right there. Come on. I want them to hear what you're saying. And I want them to make sure they hear what you say. Now, who, who's this with? It's all with faith and practice. You can actually go online. It's all faithandpractice.org. But there's a, a, a we're. They have a group in Savannah that's been going for several years, years and we were uh, made aware of them and was able to contact them. So we'll be probably with uh, 30 other individuals and a large portion of those individuals are from uh, Savannah. I think it's great and I think we need to continue. Come on, amen. Praise God. I'm going to pray one prayer now for you. We're going to pray another one later. Father, blessings upon this trip. May this be an example of us laboring beyond our borders, caring beyond our borders. We ask you in Jesus' name to help us make a difference in the world. To not just think about ourselves, but care about others. Our harvest should be invested in caring about others and making a difference. And may this be one of many more. We've done this in the past, but we're going to continue to increase it. I want to see 10 teams go a year. I want to see people go all over the world, all over not only the world, but over these communities, sometimes in the United States, various other cities and places where there are needs, even in our own community. And so we give you praise, we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. Come on, praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Well, are you glad you came today? Come on, praise God. I'm so glad you came. Give God a big hand. Now,